0: Podcast for the price of one this week, and this is a special one that I couldn't wait to release. I have a special guest joining us shortly to discuss their career so far. He was born in the West Midlands on the 27th of April, 1984. They became the youngest manager in English football to hold the UEFA A coaching licence in 2010, aged just 26. And he was named Women's Super League Manager of the Year in 2014. Our guest, of course, is former Birmingham City Manager, David Parker. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Great Since 68 podcast, the only dedicated Birmingham City Ladies podcast. Please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or SoundCloud so you can receive the show every week as soon as it becomes available. It is my pleasure to introduce our guest for this week, David Parker. Thanks for being on the show David.
1: No worries, great great to have us on and can say good to uh, catch up with everything that's been going on over the past year.
0: We will start at the beginning if you don't mind and before you became a coach you studied at the University of Birmingham. You graduated with first class honors in business and finance. Your academics led you to writing a report on the legendary Nottingham Forest manager Brian Clough. Were you influenced by Clough as a
1: manager? How can you not be? Um, you kind of like look at what he achieved in the game, how he was, how he interacted with his players and Especially, well, I suppose we'll talk about small provincial clubs coming up and success that was achieved. But yeah, great inspiration. I think it inspires every coach, really, whether that's football and going into other sports as well. So yeah, really, really influential.
0: After graduation, you took the bold move to coach youth football in the United States of America. How did that opportunity come about?
1: Going to university was a backup plan for myself. Um, it was one of those things, not being not being able to turn professional and not being good enough. So always wanted to stay in football and thought coaching and management was a route that I wanted to go down but needed to be smart enough to know that maybe it wouldn't pan out for the future um, and that obviously then you'd have to go back into a bit of more mundane life so to say um, so it was looking around I tried to get in at the time um, into the local academies and look further afield and the opportunities just weren't there so needed to broaden my horizons having completed my B licence and They were starting up the academies and kind of like really in America, there was a lot more opportunities to get out there and just learn my trade and I think that was a crucial time for me to be able to do that and have freedom to express myself as a coach and and learn how I wanted to be.
0: You spent time with Chicago Fire before moving to New York Red Bulls, then after three years in America you returned to the Midlands to take up a coaching role at Birmingham City Ladies Centre of Excellence. Did you feel time was right to return to the UK?
1: After three years in the States, uh, I'd done what I'd wanted to do and set out to achieve and obviously had Bigger aspirations, at wanting to to move up the the kind of the coaching ladder and experience new things. But how the Birmingham City Ladies opportunity fell was it was really by accident and by just by chance, really. So the reason I came back in it was 2009 was to complete my A license and just wanted to study a bit more and just take a year to to educate myself, because doing it at a distance from New York was difficult with my A-license, so I wanted to make sure I nailed that and did it properly, um, and just went all around the country, did all sorts of different courses and thought, well, I'll see if I can make a breakthrough into the game in this country, having more experience my A-license. And was just interested in all sorts of different opportunities, really. And coaching girls and women came up and I thought, you know what, that's, that's interesting, coaching different people from a different standpoint. And that's what in, kind of like encouraged me in the first place to, to even just dabble my feet into women's football. A lot of
0: uh, players can attest to this. Uh, money is not what it is in the men's game. You also took up a role at Prozone, which is known as now Stats, as the head performance analyst. Uh, what did that job involve, and was it hard at times to balance that role alongside your coaching responsibilities?
1: Yeah, I think hard isn't the word to describe that, to be honest. Um, extremely difficult, taxing, physically, mentally. It was it was extremely difficult balancing everything, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about later and some good stories. But yeah, going from there, it was the opportunity um, at Prozone was something that. Always interest me with analytics, and obviously, if it encompasses so much, and the the kind of like the industry's changed over the last nine, ten years or so that have been involved in that. So it, it's encompassing from recruitment of players, sports science, sports, medicine kind of the the tactical elements of it the just the raw analytics how you're analyzing that data putting into a tactical sense and managing all that up and using it as an extra tool because it's not the be all and end all analytics it's just something to help your decision making process so within that it was it was a great kind of source of steady income that even coaches in men's football within the youth academies they still need full-time jobs because it is part-time in in many aspects of it um so yeah it was a steady source of income that really allowed me to to then go and express my coaching and then build it from there as well and it it kind of grew and grew and grew within the women's game as you knew and got more and more difficult to balance everything up and to be honest it was took a strain mentally and physically and on my health at times and averaged probably five hours at best sleep a night if I was lucky usually about three to four to try and just do everything that was involved within Birmingham at Prozone as well. So, remember one time it was before we flew out to uh, to Russia in the Champions League. I was literally I had an operation, um, just obviously just health issue that kind of over the weekend, and then within 48 hours flew out to Moscow for our Champions League game. And the only reason I could allow myself to go out was because the doctor signed me off because. Kaya, Doctor, had to travel with us because the Champions League regulations. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to fly out. So that's how tasking it was to to really balance everything at the club.
0: Birmingham it's a a team renowned for its youth setup it must have been a dream to work with those girls in the first place.
1: Yeah it was and obviously first coming in coming on the youth side um, and the Super League was was in that phase of being bidded for and going down the application phase so obviously interesting to see how that would develop Um, but coming into to the younger girls and seeing them pull through and then what we were able to really turn around and get a real heavy production line so there was obviously ones that trickled through before and had a little bit of a lull in terms of that as a club and then really be able to push on with the recruitment of the young players, identifying them and the direction changed obviously over the years from when we had the 2011 and 12 team when the Super League first started up and how that league changed and how we needed to get ahead of everybody else and the center of excellence as it was then needed to be as good as it possibly could be and obviously then running that for I think it was three three four years however many just time flew by um on that front that we pushed so many kids through because that was what we needed to to do and to be good at and yeah we we did it with aplomb really
0: Birmingham have certainly over the years been renowned for bringing players through as you say you took charge of the Birmingham reserve side in 2010 and led them to the FA Women's Premier League Division 2 title in
1: that your first year was
0: there any standout names in that team that you got
1: in that year the one that will that will stand out is probably uh, Ian Yamatong now who's probably gone after she left the reserve team went to Villa for a season then went to America did a scholarship and then has come back and Top goal scorer 2016 season um, in Super League 2 and now at Brighton. And obviously she'll be in Super League 1 next year. So she'd probably be the one. And obviously going to the World Cup as well in 2015 in Nigeria. So she's probably the one standout from that. But we had Hannah George in that team, Anna Wilcox, who came through as well. Amy would be the one that I think the, the fans would remember of who come through there at that time.
0: During my research for this, uh, I came across her as well, Ine, and she obviously got 17 goals and 17 appearances that season. And now that she's at Brighton, as you say, uh, do you think uh, Hope Powell will help her realise the potential she showed at Blues reserves?
1: Absolutely. I think Ine was a player that she ticked a lot of boxes and for if you look at the development of her and you go technically tactically technically was the area where she needed to to pick up on in front of goal to realize her full potential to be honest and I think going out to America helped her massively gave her I mean she was not short of confidence and academically very very clever so going from there and then coming into I suppose training every day in America and then coming back into Brighton hope will do wonders with her I've got no doubt about it that and I really hope he can can push on and become a real force because she, when when we played friendlies against Oxford um, in the last couple of years while she was there, she was an absolute handful. I mean, terrorised our defence in friendlies and yeah, maybe it was something that Inie could have come back to Birmingham at some point um, towards that 2016, going into 2017 season uh, that we were looking at to be honest. So within that not many defenders caused us problems but she did um, so yeah, full credit to her and I think Hope will really push her on.
0: Let's hope so, and we wish her the best. Hope Powell is uh, the former England manager, of course, as was Mark Sampson. Birmingham have brought through a lot of quality players in the past, but have found it difficult to get into the senior England team, despite caps at youth level. Uh, why do you
1: think that's the case? Um, they were probably too young to break into the senior team. If you still look at them now, there's what is it, six, seven of the girls that are still in the under-23 bracket, that to get into the senior international level. You've got to be technically, tactically, psychologically. You've got to tick every box. And as a youngster, you may not have all those tools. They they may not be there or they may need to be refined. And if you're going to go win a World Cup or European Championship, and I know obviously you look at what Mark's done, he's there to win and to win games. And there there are players that are ahead of the current crop and where sorry, where I was in charge, they were ahead of them. So you look at the Izzy Christiansens that, good three four five years ahead of their development spectrum than the girls were bringing through like your ethers and your jessies are now obviously breaking through they just needed that time to build up that experience and yeah they've been playing the super league and uh, under ourselves for for many years but you need an extra toolbox and going from a domestic game into an international game is very different you get excellent excellent club players but going into the international stage you may need to find an extra gear or it may not be suited to your game type so I can fully understand why they weren't in that senior squad but in time they'll get there I've got no doubt about that.
0: Having worked with the likes of Izzy Christensen and um, Jess Carter in previous years you must be proud to see them playing for England now.
1: I'm massively proud I mean proud of all the girls that are I had the pleasure of working with, to be honest, going back all the way from the start. That looking at what they've they've achieved, going whether it be World Cup bronze medal, going to the Euros, going on to play for bigger clubs, repping themselves in the Champions League. Izzy and Jess, both obviously PFA Player of the Year awards uh, between them. So immensely proud that I was a little part of their journey and hopefully helped them on their way. Um, but then to see them at the the bigger clubs and stepping up that's that's great and watching them play and obviously where they've gone to and where they can get to as well is is great and yeah fully proud of every single one of the players that I work with and had the pleasure of working with as well
0: going back now to your time with the reserve team obviously that earned you the position of first team manager in 2011 just in that, in just in time for the debut season of the Women's Super League, how much did it mean to you to get the top job?
1: It was massive. Um, obviously sat down and had a conversation. Um, obviously with Marcus at the time and how things were going to go about and how we needed to do it as a club. And yeah, fully, fully honoured. And I mean, it was kind of a joy. You get dropped in the deep end sometimes, and you you either sink or you swim. And I remember we'd obviously sorted it all out in kind of like the. January, February time of twenty eleven of how it was going to come together and how it was going to work. So going in there, and I think the first kind of like real wake up call was we went down to Wembley to do photo shoots and T V interviews and ESPN with there. I'm thinking, okay, wow, you're in the deep end now, you've got to you've got to perform. So yeah, immensely honoured and proud for anyone to give you that type of opportunity and have that faith in you. You you need to reward that faith. Birmingham had a tremendous season that year, finishing second,
0: with striker Rachel Williams being the league's top scorer. In your debut season, it must have been great to achieve so much. Yet given how narrowly you missed over missed on the title, just three points, it must have been one of the worst.
1: Yeah, it was it was tough. Um and we should have won it that year. We really should have. And I think it was the the inexperience of the whole club when you when you're going up against Arsenal and they won the league for a reason they won it because they were more experienced they won it because they had the know-how of winning championships that obviously they were competing with everton they knew how to get over the line and i think as as a management staff and as a group of players i think if we're honest with ourselves we didn't have that experience we we weren't a group of winners that's something you need to develop we were winners individually in the way that we went about life and our professionalism but we didn't have it collectively as a team and that shone through and I think when we got to that community cup final as well in 2011 and you see Arsenal that we competed for them with them for up until that first goal and I remember Jody had a goal disallowed that day and she was onside but it's that's in the past that I think once they got that first goal and then we conceded within a minute I think that that said everything about us that we weren't ready However, I think on the final, we, we didn't deserve to win the final on that day, but we should have won the title um, and it was, it was just that inexperience and we learned from that. And then obviously we head into 2012 with better experiences. But Arsenal had a decade of success leading up to that and they they knew how to win and that was something we needed to learn and obviously then brought that forward into the, the forthcoming years, which I'm sure you all bring up.
0: No doubt we'll bring it up in a short while. Um, you mentioned the cup final that year. It was obviously your first taste of domestic cup competitions in England. What was that day like for you?
1: <sighs> you know what? You, you look back and you think going to that FA Cup final. You think you're gonna have more days like that? You, because obviously coming into it in 2011, you think, great, we've got a fantastic team here, fantastic players. We're gonna have more days in terms of that. And yeah, we got to, I think, was it six finals in six years? Um, And you go, but winning it is different. Winning it and walking out Ashton Gate on the day, but walking out, you go, there's gonna be more of this but there wasn't. So I think it's a matter of in the future, hopefully getting on that stage again, that you appreciate a little bit more, especially the afterwards that you think, I don't know, I had the mentality of I'd won it. Great. What's next? Let's win something again, where probably just sit back, take it in a little bit more and appreciate those times when they come along a bit more. So, yeah, I think that's what you gain experience on that side. But, yeah, what a wonderful occasion and winning the first trophy, domestic major trophy for Birmingham and obviously the hard work and the years that had gone in before that, the people who were, who were at the club previously, what a what a day. Uh, and obviously we haven't lifted anything else as a club since. Um, and obviously the way the game's changing, it's going to be very, very difficult for... A club like Birmingham to lift another trophy just the way the way things are. It doesn't mean it can't be done. It's just going to be difficult. And I hope there's more opportunities where Birmingham lift more trophies in the future. Because as a club, they deserve it. But it's going to be mighty tough. And it's just appreciating those days when they come along.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The FA Cup was uh, the pinnacle of that 2012 season. Obviously, it was uh, Jodie Taylor's first full season with Birmingham that year. Once again, Birmingham player named top goal scorer in the league. How important was it to add the strikers to relieve the pressure on Rachel after what a great year she had in 2011?
1: Yeah, I think there's always it's always that and there's the old second season syndrome like, that people talk about. And I think what we, I mean, you forget in that first year we had Dunya, Kaz, Woody supporting Rach at that time and what three players they are, by the way. So it wasn't all about Rach. Uh, in that first year it, there was a lot to it I mean you look at Jane Moore, Joe Potter in that midfield and you go through the whole team Heather Shuba what a fantastic ability she had as well so there was a lot that supported Rach but when you do well you need to improve what you've got and at the time we brought in obviously Enia Luko came in to replace Dunya, and then obviously Jody for her first full season and what a player Jodie Taylor is, I mean, the the most natural, outside of obviously Kelly Smith, the most natural goal scorer I've seen as an English player, um, an absolute privilege to work with them. And it gave us a different dimension and it was a lot of attacking football. We scored goal after goal after goal and you go with that front four, even today, you'd put them up against a lot of teams and they would blow a lot of teams away in this league still. So, yeah, Jody immensely important, but you can't forget the players that supported both of those to get top goal scorer as well.
0: Absolutely. It was a real team effort. And it was another close season, obviously, for Birmingham that year in the lead up to the FA Cup. Obviously, they finished second again to Arsenal once more. For fans that might not have been round at that time, just how good were the 2012 Arsenal team? Going unbeaten and and all season takes a lot to do.
1: That Arsenal team... I think, I know people talk about the Man City team and the Chelsea team as being maybe the best in the Super League era. No doubt in my mind that our Arsenal 2012 team was the best. Without a doubt, you look at that midfield, Jane Ludlow, Kim Little, Kate Chapman, you know Kelly Smith in that, obviously Steph Horton. You could name one to 18 players that they could have put out each one of them, top, top, top draw. I don't think, I mean, Chelsea squad at this moment takes some beating. That's one hell of a squad this season. But that Arsenal squad, they were all winners. They loved Arsenal. They had a culture. They had a belief. They epitomised everything you'd ever want to be for a group of champions. And that, for me, was the best. And we ran them close, real close. 1-0 in that county Cup final. A couple of points off in the league. But they deserved they deserve that league title and then the County Cup final could have flipped on a coin No, Rach had a chance in that game. I think it should have gone one nil up and we didn't have Jodie Taylor that day as well. But we were up there and Arsenal, for me, the best in that Super League era. And we went head to head with them and they just flipped us on two out of the three and the one could have gone either way, to be honest.
0: No one likes penalties, but obviously that's how it ended in the FA Cup final. How, how tense was that, David, to watch the players when you got n- no longer have any influence on the game?
1: We'd done so much work leading into that, that week. I mean, the things the things we did, you probably laugh at now in the way that we tested the players, but every game and everything we did was always with a little list of detail. I mean, we, we recreate the penalty scenario again and again and again. We looked at it from a point of... Who's the best goalkeeper to put in? We even had a discussion on the bench. Is, is Margie going to come on because she's a great penalty? Um, obviously, someone to save penalty. She has a great reputation for that. We looked at that of do we swap Becky at that last minute? And we decided no because Becky was in the game. And rightly so. She has, the, she has a great knack of saving penalties as well. We went down to the detail. And not giving any clues away. I mean, the old, well, the old system of ABAB and now it's the old ABBA situation. There's, It's come to light. There's a statistical way that you can put the odds in your favour and that's at Prozone, something kind of new and understood. And then there's a way you can work the system within those penalties as well. The detail that we went into those five and then the sixth, seventh, eighth penalty, I knew who exactly we wanted to take each penalty, what type of penalty taker we wanted. And I know this obviously it's come out that Becky was number five and never got to take one. There was reasons for each one of those penalty takers going in the order they did and what type of penalty they take. I mean, that's the detail we went down to that day. And it, it won us an FA Cup. And that's the level of detail you've got to go down if you want to be a winner.
0: Yeah, that's, that's very interesting, David. And I'm sure a lot of people listening will be really interested in that. Uh, it was around this time that my interest in the women's football was beginning to grow it was it was on the cusp of the london olympics and i'd been covering my university women's football team for my student paper at the time it was great to have this final on the television even if sky sports cut it short for some viewers despite the issues with sky david do you think that 2012 was a real turning point for women's football especially in birmingham with the olympics and
1: our fa cup triumph i think it flipped the whole game the olympics and the exposure i think that was the catalyst I think we came in, the original Super League licenses were for two years, so it was 2011-2012 and then the license regulation, you had one extra year which took you into 2013 and I know there's lots of talks about how the licensing works but that's how it was so you thought, you know what, this Women's Super League might only last two years so give it as good as it's got and then whatever happens after that, there may not be a Women's Super League. That was a general mindset of the whole league, you did not know how long it was going to last for. So. Yeah, the catalyst and Steph, that put her on an absolute trajectory to stardom of how she went about that tournament and the exposure, the crowds. It, really, it didn't just do it for women's football, it did it for women's sport in the Olympics. And I think that alone has been a major catalyst going forward and kind of going into different elements now of the women's sport across the whole spectrum of the UK. So I think that was the turning point for everything that put it on the map.
0: A familiar name on the substitute bench in the FA Cup final was Christina Torkelson. As you are likely aware, she's now the head of the Birmingham Regional Talent Club and you've set up. Just what kind of player was she and perhaps more importantly, as a person off the pitch?
1: Yeah, I think with with Chrissy, obviously we brought her in in the the 2012 season. Um, To be a versatile player, obviously she had a knack of being a centre forward uh, by trade um, and obviously then can play centre half as well. So that little versatility and... Playing her as a a centre half in the in the main to be a to be a squad player and obviously the relationship we had she had with all the other players made it a great fit and it was about developing the culture more within the football club and obviously Chrissy couldn't enable that really really well and obviously some great performances and stepped in at crucial times for us over the years so yeah absolutely great to to bring her into the squad and it was getting towards the end of her career um, within that aspect but I think having her around the squad and when she stepped in made great impact so yeah wonderful person to have around the club as well at that time
0: identifying players to bring into youth teams and the reserve team is obviously a big part of our identity at Birmingham City how did you go about finding potential talent uh, while you were at the club notable examples are obviously England international Mel Lawley and Fiorentina's Ellie Brazil
1: two great stories about how those two players came came into the club really so overall it was you look at it and go obviously running the centre of excellence so from the under nines all the way through and we had to be ahead of the game and there was loads of things that we had to, to work on to enable that, but I, I could tell you and still now where all the best young England players are at or where the potential is, whether they're in the, the England teams or not. So on a Saturday, we'd obviously play the games home and away and the way the fixtures worked, you could pick probably about 40% of your fixtures against teams you wanted to play against because you had a, a structured program and then lots of friendlies. So the the main bit of it was that I made sure that we had friendlies against the players that I wanted to go see in the country. So because we built the academy within Solill College and we could get players from further afar and house them and turn that into a full-time system after two years, so that was the plan. So within that, I made sure that I knew every kid coming through without an exception that, You couldn't tell me a name that I didn't know or what she was about or the potential that she had. So, that's where so many of them came through and the start of that was over the winter of 2012 when got Mary Earps, um, Kirsty Lynette, Mel Lawley, uh, Ethan Mannion, and Katie Wilkinson. I think that was all of them that year and that was a turning point. We knew we couldn't compete financially so we had to bring these players in and you could bring them in for next to nothing in terms of wages. And obviously transfer fees were nothing as well because a lot of them are non-contracted players. So I knew that they'd be worth something as the transfer market developed. And then because we wouldn't have the wages, you'd be able to sell them on. So every time we sold a player, you'd get the the release of their wages plus the transfer fee as well. So you could put that back in the pot to keep players at the club year on, year out, and then also get their replacements. So the Mel Lawley story is a great one really for fans that it came about... At the end of the 2011 season, beginning of 2012, sorry, before that, uh, when I was manager of the reserve team, uh, I wanted to sign her for Birmingham before she went to Arsenal. But she'd already made her mind up to go to Arsenal and it was the right decision. She had a better environment than what we could offer at Birmingham at the time. And she went and spent a little time down there. So then 18 months later, she got in contact with me after she'd left Arsenal and wasn't sure what she wanted to do, but she wanted to sign for Birmingham and she wanted to work for us. So... In that, we just signed Eni, um, and obviously having Kaz as well. And I spoke to Mel and said, you know what? You're going to be a great player, um, but the time's not right for you to come to Birmingham. Even though I could sign you, no problem at all, but you're going to sit on the bench for a year because you're not going to be able to break Eni and Kaz in the positions you need to play. So I said, give it a year or however long it may be, and it's come, come and review it at the end of the season. So she then... Obviously, I had the opportunity to go to Bristol under Mark Sampson. And I said, that's a great opportunity. You're going to get good game time there. You may not be guaranteed to start, but you're going to get good game time and develop really well. And she did. She had a great season there. And then obviously, when Any left, we needed a winger and a long-term replacement for her because we couldn't afford to replace Any like for like. We didn't have the money, didn't have the resources. You can't go and get another England international. Our time had come and gone for that then um so it was about the future which is why i brought in the five youngsters to develop that um so as it then came around she went back on loan to villa made a good opportunity within a contract situation that she'd come off contract at bristol back onto a non-contract at villa got her in for a free transfer and the rest history so watching her play from probably around 12 13 years old at villa center of excellence always a player that I thought great potential she just needs to be in the right environment and and harnessed in the right way and look at her now pleased as punch with what she's achieved in the game and the Ellie Brazil one is a good story so when you talk about talent and trying to identify talent so I forget which year it was maybe 2015 of the summer I'd already agreed to bring her in so there's a window within the the centre of excellence transfer so I'd already identified her through through her playing at derby and noticed her for the previous 18 months and watched her a few times when we played them and thought yeah this girl's got something that she could go on here she's ticking all the boxes for as the game's developing and kind of already made the deal to bring her in and she she needed to come down to sign obviously all the paperwork and just came down and took part in our invitation only trials and one coach in particular came up to me he's gone why on earth have you signed her what is it you see? I don't get it. This other girl's far better than what she is. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is Y, X, Y, and Z. So when you're trying to identify talent, there's there's I'm not trying to big my own trumpet a little bit, but there's a knack to it. There's certain things you need to identify and look for. And so even with that, I just gone, well, she's already signed, she's done, she's coming into the football club. And they they didn't get it. So it's a funny one. You can identify talent. Some people agree with me, some people will not and others will fly, others will sink. But two very different contrasting stories and Ellie's a great one who obviously had dad and a football family as well that's well known that she took an opportunity to move down to Birmingham, come into a full-time system and just flew and it was, it's what you hope for, there's never any guarantees, you just you hope that they're going to put in the effort to be as good as they can be and Ellie did that in abundance so um, I had no doubt when the opportunity to Fiorentina came up that there was no doubt she was going to go test herself abroad because she's of that character but yeah it's identifying those young players and working with the constraints of the football club and having that strategy there was always a system and a way for how it was done
0: I'm pretty much down the road from where um Mel Lawley used to live in Kidderminster, so I, I, I know I know of her ability quite well, and I, I, it's just amazing to see someone local to me playing for England. Which, for for a small area like a Worcestershire, is not known for its football that much, and to have someone is such a good role model for footballers in this area. And obviously uh, Ellie Brazil going uh, going to Italy, it's amazing to see her doing well over there and hopefully she'll be back one day in England. Birmingham in the 2013 season obviously lost uh, Elia Luko, as you mentioned. She left for Chelsea. Jodie Taylor left for Sweden and Rachel Williams was out of form that season. After two seasons with
1: loads of goals, what do you think went wrong about you? Um, I think I think you summed it up quite nicely that kind of like you've took Jodie Taylor, top goal scorer, out. And I think people forget Rachel Williams still scored as many goals in 2013 as she did in 2012. We just lost a bag full of goals in Jody and Eni, I mean, to replace those players. And that was a lot of pressure on people like Mel Lawley, Kirsten Lynette coming into the team to to replace those goals. And we needed to, to change the way we went about things. And it was a bit of a transitional year for us. But I think even though 2013 was that transition of going from the experienced players fully into the youth development side that I think the team, they looked on the pitch and went, we've got two kids instead of Jodie and Eni. And I think that took a while to get over in the first part of the season. But when we got to the summer break, we came out flying. It just took a little while for those players to get used to our culture, our environment, get them playing in the top league with the top class players that we had at that time. And we flew into the Champions League. Izzy Christiansen stepped up massively that year and probably was influential in a move to Man City at the time. So when we went into that that Champions League run, we were fully on it. I mean, we had Mel, Kirsty, Izzy, Kaz up front. And once that pattern and that front line had been established, that was banging in goals of fun at the end of 2013. So it just took a bit of time and work on the coaching pitch to be able to get that to get that right so yeah there was a bit of up and down that year but we still finished top four we got to the champions league quarterfinals on the back of it so for a transition year that, that was almighty successful really if you take everything into consideration
0: obviously you mentioned the 2013 going into 2014 2014 was perhaps one of the most exciting ends to a season in the women's super league history birmingham came back with a resolve after that 2013 season fans will remember how nerve-wracking that run-in was chelsea liverpool birmingham all went into the final day with a chance of winning the title in the end we missed out by a single point after a 2-2 draw with Notts county a missed penalty could have sealed it as well how things could have been uh, looking back now,
1: what do you think went wrong on that last day? It wasn't the last day. Um, everyone will point at Karen's penalty. Never in a million years should she ever harness any, any sort of guilt or kind of like bad feelings towards that. It was not about that penalty. Um, I look at other games. I look at when we went and played Everton away from home and got relegated that year on the TV midweek. We battered them that day, and there was opportunities in that game that we should have won. I then I look back to refereeing decisions that they're taken out of your hands and they are what they are. The Farrell Williams goal, that one goal alone cost us Champions League football and won Liverpool the title because of the points flip. I look at the decisions at the Arsenal game when we had a penalty given taken away that would have put us at 1-1 at the time. Um, I look at the beginning of the season when we drew to Everton 0-0. Uh, we played them on a Wednesday night and had two or so on the Saturday. And we couldn't play our full-strength lineup because of the turnaround between the two games. We had to prioritize the Champions League game. There's many things during a season. It wasn't about the last game, but even before before that, you go in. People had wrote us off. People saying we're getting relegated alongside Everton and we're favourites to go down. And to come out and, and to do what we did, and the motivation that we got, and the the feel-good factor from the beginning of the season, starting the league well. And obviously then the great performances against Arsenal and then into the Champions League semis, that it just pushed us through. It pushed us through. And we just, once again, Liverpool just had that little bit of experience to help them through. Chelsea did as well. We were still young, still trying to learn our trade. Jess Carter had just made a debut that season. We still got Mellows in a second season, Kirsty, You're relying on kids that are 19 and 16 years old. Aoife stepped up that year 18 you're talking teenagers to win your championship and it's something that you develop and you learn from and those experiences again but yeah I think once again I think the 2011 title and 2014 title I really believe we should have won it those years those were the two that I think they got away from us the other cup finals we either weren't quite there or didn't deserve it on the day but those are the two things that I look back and go you know what I wish we were able to put a league title just on the on the trophy cabinet for Birmingham and it was it's still upsetting it's still look back and it still hurts but what an almighty achievement to still do what we did but it should have been one step further
0: With players who are like talismans for the club obviously Kaz Carney she's a club legend and she always will be it, it doesn't come down to those moments it's obviously over the course of a season as you say things get out of hand um, obviously we'll come we'll come on to the, your last cup final later on About um, also about Anne who obviously had a renown for being a talisman of the team since she signed and obviously had a, one mistake and that cost us but going back to that 2014 year obviously Birmingham reached the semi-finals of the Champions League that year what was European football like from your perspective? A young coach, someone who's worked in the US, now getting to test their wits against the
1: rest of Europe. Ah, oh, it was brilliant. It's a Champions League in European football. It's a different mentality. It's a different game, planning the way you've got to go about it. The 2 90-minute games, how you have to approach it, travelling abroad, dealing with all those conditions, the referees, the environment, the atmosphere, it's completely different from the domestic game. And I think when you mentioned it earlier, Why haven't some of the younger girls been able to go from the domestic game into the international game? It's the same as making a transition from domestic into European football. And I think that's a nice little middle ground for those girls to make that step. So from there, it's a massive, massive learning curve. I mean, the Verona game where we're 2-0 up in the first leg and then we lost an extra time away from home. We played really well that day and it, it didn't go for us. But three set pieces against Verona... And throughout the competition, the, the margins are so much smaller. The, there's ways to go about things that you keep yourself in a game, that clean sheets are mightily important, that you've got to get yourself through. So, it's a great learning curve, and would love to be in kind of like the Champions League again someday in the future, just to, to go at it once more.
0: Does any particular trip from your Champions League uh, journey stand out? Was it Finland, Russia? You briefly mentioned obviously the the illness uh, issues with Russia, but um, was there any other, other moment that stood out for you during that time?
1: It's a little bit wider well, known now that we had issues, got stuck in the airport in Russia. That was a, that was an interesting time for a couple of hours, and Joe's visa was printed wrong, and we had, we had no idea because it was obviously Russian and didn't know until she got detained. There was a point where you're thinking, well, Joe might have to go back home. What what the hell are we gonna do? Can she even get through sitting in the airport for a couple of hours, all the players on the conveyor belts? That was interesting. But every trip was an experience. Uh, Sometimes you're locked away in the hotel, can have a little walk around. Sometimes you can go out a little bit further. But you're really tight for time. You fly in, you go in, you settle, you eat, you sleep, you get up, you get ready, it's game day. Um, So loads and loads of stories. But I think, yeah, the Russia one's probably a good one for the fans to know of. Just great experiences to go out there and just test yourself against different players and different cultures and managers. That That's the big thing. Your sixth and
0: final season in charge saw us uh, finish fourth in 2016, a feat you achieved in five of your six seasons. Given the growing competition in the Women's Super League, you must be proud
1: of that achievement. For me, 2016, if you go across the board, 2016 was the biggest accomplishment. From the lot, 2015 was a bad year for for so many reasons. We were so far behind. I, it was, it's terrible to say, but at the end of 2014, and when you finish on such a low point in 2014, you know it's going to take a lot to pick the club up and the players as well from that because it was tragic in the way that it ended for us. And to pick yourself up and go again, and we didn't have Champions League football to motivate us to get us going like it did the year before. I knew deep down 2015 was going to be bad, we didn't have the money, we couldn't get any of the players in, we couldn't even reward the players monetary wise to go you know what you've had a brilliant year and you deserve your pay rise, like we're talking pounds and pence, it was pittance and you going well you, you question and I understand it from the girls point of view, you going, we don't have the best medical facilities, we've barely got anything, we, we kind of like the coaching gear I pay for out of my own pocket. And all those things, you're going. Come on, give us a little bit more, just to give us some impetus, because we, had, we always fought for something more than just three points. There was, we wanted to turn the club professional. We wanted it to be better. It was a journey about what the club had been on and the trials and tribulations. We were fighting for something more, something greater. And I felt we just didn't have that kick in 2015 to propel us forward, and it just, it was a downward slope, and we picked it up. So. It was literally over 2015, winter into 2016, tore it all up. It was, I think there was just myself, Marcus and Darren that was left as a staff. Might be wrong on that, so apologies if I missed anyone out. And then obviously trying to turn the player aspect around and a, a, a different strategy to be able to bring in better quality players. That The transfer strategy to go then abroad and change it. So we needed to professionalise the club with that outside influences of foreign players to then change the environment of moving from semi-pro into professional. And the way we go about it was probably the biggest triumph of how we turned that around and full credit to Steve Shipway, Mike Mabry and Tim Andrews for facilitating so much of that. And it wasn't to do with any money. There was only a slight increase in terms of the budget, but we went about it differently and Obviously, they backed us for what we wanted to do on the pitch and off the pitch and completely turned the club around. And to end on a high, the way we did winning 7-1 at Sunderland in terms of the last game and the Conte Cup final as well just before that, that you go, that could have been the start of something really different. But with the takeover, it wasn't to be. And lots of other things that it wasn't to be to be carried on. But that was the pinnacle that I thought... It might not get any better than what it was at the end of 2016 as a, as a whole to push on and to, to com- really compete with the best. And by that, I mean Champions League places, league titles that we were doing so well season after season.
0: Birmingham, as you mentioned, also made the Continental Cup final in your final year. It was a very close game. I was at the Academy Stadium against uh, the Man City, of course, and it was a rare error from a fantastic goalkeeper, and Katrin Berger, that gave Man City the win in the end. But first of all, what are your thoughts on the controversial venue of the final and what do you remember of that day?
1: I wasn't too bothered about it being the Academy Stadium. I think I, I built it more in the press just for our own mentality, like we always did against our underdogs, backs against the wall. It was, whether you're playing Man City on a parks pitch or wherever, it's a cup final, you want to play at good venues. Man City was a good venue. And you know what? It gave us more strength to be able to turn that around. It didn't bother me. We'd been there We'd been there a few times and we got overawed by it. And I think the first time we went to the academy stadium going, oh, wow, look at what these girls have got. And you get wept away. And I think a lot of clubs did that first year against Man City. And they've built it into a fortress since because they're such a good team and a good club. But no, it didn't. Didn't bother me. It thought, you know what? We're going to use this to our advantage. That the old underdog Birmingham, it's not. We're playing at an away stadium. Man City are at home. They're massive favourites to win this. We're a young team. We're coming at it. But you know what? I believe we could have. We took the game to them, and it didn't make any difference. It spurred us on more than anything. So I thought it was a good thing in hindsight.
0: There's one man who was with you for the majority of your time at Birmingham, a former Birmingham City ladies manager in his own right, Marcus Bignett. Uh, how important was he to have around the coaching setup?
1: Great person, great football person, everything about it. And the the partnership we, we built up, and I know that people go, well, what was it and how did it work between you and everything else? I think what, without kind of like being dull and reading out job descriptions and going well I was manager and Marcus was lead coach I think that everyone needs to understand whether it's football or business no one person can be successful on their own you you need to have different ideas inputs so you can make the best decision as often as possible and you look at how we worked at Birmingham there wasn't a single decision that Impacted the football pitch, or something that was off the football pitch that was going to impact us that we didn't think out. And obviously, when we went back into the detail of the 2012 Cup Final, that's when I'm talking about every little detail. So whether it was 30 seconds on on a phone or hours round the table, we thought everything out, and it was a great partnership. And we complemented, and we brought the best out of each other. Um, and we focused on what our strengths were and I can see why there was overlaps where you should go well traditional roles responsibilities and titles but if you look at some of the best partnerships I mean if you go you're Clough and Taylor or Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak and and Steve Redgrave and Pinson they're they're not a bad six are they but you kind of go they all complement each other and they bring the best out of each other and I think that's what me and Marcus did and we we obviously just we had to find a way to win no matter what it was finding a way to win because we didn't have anything compared to anyone else and we had to find a different angle for everything so if it was relying on each other's strengths that's the way that we needed to work as as a management staff to make sure the club was successful so yeah it was just finding each other's strengths and and leaning on them and it was it was a great partnership it really was
0: yeah you mentioned the uh Taylor and Clough, and i was going to say that brings us right round to the start when you're talking about brian Clough being an influence and it's obviously subconsciously at least it was you knew in your head it's good to have someone with slightly more experience to, to help you bridge that gap and get uh, success for birmingham so that was um smart smart on your point i should say um I remember one of the games in your final season. I can't remember who it was against, but he—he he had a uh, Marcus had a chair that he, that you'd like seeing a school assembly next to the dugout with his arms crossed. It remains one of the the funniest uh, sights I've seen at Birmingham City. Do, do you have any um, um stories about Marcus to share?
1: Yeah, lots probably for another day, maybe another interview because I know we've been rambling on. But I think obviously stories about I think I know exactly what you're talking about actually. And I think if I'm right, it was the Liverpool final in the Conte Cup. And I think, I'll be honest, the way that came about was we both got a chair and we were so bored. I'm not kidding you. It went into extra time. The game had fizzled out. There was nothing in that game. And we just took a back chair because we knew it was going to penalties. Like there was nothing. Both teams are giving it everything. I'm sure it was a piping up day. And we sat there on our chairs and we just relaxed and we just had a laugh and a giggle we had a laugh and a giggle and we talked about okay well what are we are going to do well this is going to penalties and obviously Cole popped up with that memorable goal that came out of nothing but it was a routine that was worked on the training ground so you can say it was something that was worked at and it popped up at the right time if you look at the pattern in that it was something we worked on but yeah loads and loads of stories and it's, obviously the club would, would not be where it was if it wasn't for Marcus all those years ago that built it up and took it from nothing into something and then obviously then helped and we rejuvenated it again in the Super League era so yeah so many stories and maybe a whole podcast in itself for talking about the stories and times of Birmingham City and what went on behind the scenes
0: There was a lot of speculation as to why you resigned ahead of the Spring Series last year. It's inevitable that if one of the longest serving managers in the league leaves it will be a
1: newsworthy story. Uh, Can
0: you tell us the reason behind your decision?
1: To be honest it, it got to a point I think I mentioned earlier that the the way that things had developed and what we'd achieved in 2016 i generally thought that potentially could be the pinnacle if we didn't have the extra resources to go the extra step and what i mean by that is i didn't want another 2015 going into 2017 not being able to reward the players for what they did and i mean that in terms of monetary and looking after them that There were so many occasions I was putting in petrol for players so they could get to training into their cars. I was taking them for food. Marcus did it as well. Other staff did it. The, The girls couldn't afford to live. They couldn't afford to buy the right food. It was very, very difficult. There were so many stories of that. And obviously, Marcus had been offered the job at Grimsby. And we always had contingency plans. So no matter what, the club was going to move forward because one day me or Marcus were going to move on. And we both had been offered numerous jobs in our time at Birmingham, some within the the women's game, some within the men's game, that we'd been offered great opportunities and we knew it was going to come. So we planned for that, prepared for it. And that combined with the takeover and everything else and other things that were going on in my life, I thought it's right to do it at the top if kind of like and from from that point of view go out on the top because you'll always remember the great times and that hopefully then that will propel to the next stage where I can just take a step back rejuvenate and then and then go again to be honest so there were so many things that I thought I I didn't feel it could go again um and it was it was difficult it was difficult but it was I, I still believe it was the right decision
0: uh, thank you for your honesty there, David. Obviously, you've um, given a lot of years to Birmingham City and I, I'm sure everyone respects you for it. Um, moving away from the game for the, for the time being, uh, you've become a father since leaving Birmingham.
1: How is fatherhood for you? Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. It was something that I'd always wanted to be a father and be a dad, but you don't realise how much until it actually happens. Um, so that we actually got the new Salsley obviously... Uh, resigned from Birmingham. It was a couple of days before the announcement. And then it was about two weeks later that we had the scan and then found out, obviously, that we were having a baby. So obviously a massive month that's changed my life the last year, um, hugely. But one in which that you probably go, things fall into place for a reason. And I don't think there's no way that I could have coped going through pregnancy in, obviously, the first six months With obviously turned six months at the weekend so being able to deal with that and I talk about I didn't have much sleep trying to juggle prozone and Birmingham and everything else things happened for a reason and that was it was meant to be so I've been able to really use all that time and enjoy it so much go to every scan go everything about that journey as a pregnancy that obviously what a partner was going through that was able to be there for everything and really put yourself fully into that and almost have a new project so to say so I didn't lose that project there was just something new that came along so yeah very life-changing in many different ways but majorly rewarding at the same time. I'm, I'm sure it is
0: and obviously it's uh, some people don't get the chance to see these moments so it's a, it's great that you get to experience them with your wife um, along the way. Um after 12 months out, the big question
1: is, David, what is next for you? When i finished and left Birmingham, I thought I was ready to jump straight back in. I thought, you know what, I've done one project and I'm ready to go. Just show me where the next, where the next one is. Where's the next project? Where's the next club that's going to excite me and has the same ambitions that I have, that what I want to achieve? Because that's, that's really important, that it's not just about picking a club for the sake of it. It's about picking the club that has the right ambitions and the right the right mentality going forward for what they want to what they want to do so I think now obviously within being six months old it's I've started now since Christmas time I've gone I needed a break I needed to rejuvenate I needed to sort myself out as a dad sort my own life out to have a break rejuvenate and I do feel fully refreshed now and I'm ready to get back Um, I'd love it to be women's football I really would but sometimes the opportunities are few and far between. Not many managers get given the heave-ho during a season. There's not much turnaround and there's limited clubs compared to the men's game. So it's you have to be patient. Um, I'm sure there'll be opportunities this summer with the new league coming in. I'm sure there will be. Whether those are right for me and whether that club feel I'm right for them. So yeah, absolutely, I'm ready to go now. I'll put my name out there and go, if there's a job, if it's right, then I'll definitely be of interest I'll sit down with anyone listen to anyone talk to anyone that really wants to push on and whether that's in England or abroad I'm welcome to hear what anyone's got to say to be honest and I'm I'm really looking forward to it because I'm hopeful something will come up and then kick on uh, another project so if there's any clubs listening just uh, drop me an email pick up the telephone because I'm, I'm ready and I'll, I want to get back.
0: I think that's all I have for you, David. Uh, thank you very much for coming on our show and I look forward to seeing what you have in store in the future. I wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much, Craig, and thanks for having us on. You've been listening to the Great since 68 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us so you can receive the show every single week as soon as it comes out. Just search for Great since 68 on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio and any other podcast platform you may use. You can also follow the show on Twitter at greatsince68. Thanks for listening, everyone, and remember, keep right on.